From Uniforms to Unicorns is sponsored by Brand 47 Coffee, which was founded by Holly and Alex, both first responders looking to create a sustainable business to pass on to their two sons with Down syndrome, Jax and Nico. Thinking about the future has always been in the forefront of their heads for their boys, creating meaningful employment and independence as adults. The only way to do that was to create it. Brand 47 Coffee Co. provides the most unique and fun-flavored coffee. Seriously, it is so good. Our Mine and Sharon's favorite is the Coco Loco. It's coconut-infused. It is to die for. All of their coffee is small batch and roasted to order. They are incredible people doing incredible things. Their vision is to keep the world caffeinated, to stay special, and be extra. You can find them at brand47coffee.com. Welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. This podcast is all about our experience as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transitions out of the career. Lauren and I have always had a significant bond. Friends, moms, and business owners that happen to be in prison. Life attempted to separate us, but we always found a way back to each other. Through huge life milestones, tragedy, and random text messages saying, I thought of you today. We know there is huge curiosity surrounding these topics. And we aren't the only ones that struggle. There are also incredible stories just waiting to be shared. And we want this to be a safe place for us and you to talk about the often unspoken world of correction. Grab a coffee, head out on a walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> From uniforms to unicorns. Hey, Lauren here. Just wanted to remind you that some of the things that Sharon and I and our guests talk about on this podcast can have adverse effects or bring on triggers for experiences that you have had in the past. So we just wanted to give you a little bit of a warning before you listen to any of the podcast episodes and say, take care of yourself. And thank you again for being here and listening. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's been a while. Back in the studio. Yeah, so much fun. <laughs> Couldn't even find my headphones. We haven't done this for so long. Yeah, feel very unorganized today with this, but I'm I'm excited to be here. Um, we've been lucky enough to be talking with our guests, you know, for a few minutes before this, and uh, today we have a good friend of friend of ours who worked with us at Edmonton Institution mm-hmm. for Women. Uh, James Lee is here with us. We tried to do this once before and uh, we didn't get the chance to. So we are we are here today ready to talk to him and his experience and for him to tell us all the things um, yeah, about his life and his experience in the military and corrections. And uh, so take it away, Sharon. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're super excited and we're hoping um, for those of you that worked at EIFW with James, we're hoping to hear his laugh at least once, <laughs> kind of yes. an iconic laugh. And James, uh, going to start just asking you some questions. Uh, you started out in the military, right? Before corrections? Well, first of all, hi, ladies. Thanks for having me. Hi. I've been listening to your podcast for, well, since the beginning. Yay. 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 Thanks, James. Always a big supporter. Uh, Yes, I did start my, I did start a career in the military, but long before that, I was doing various jobs. I was all over the place. I didn't really find out what I wanted to do until I was 24. So I joined when I was 24. And at the time, if you were 25, you were too old. Oh, wow. I kind of like just made it in. And uh, before that, I did all kinds of things. Worked for the forestry worked in a sand plant. I worked in a meatpacking plant. So I did all kinds of things. And then the military came along. Well, I decided I wanted to get, because early 80s, electronics was a big thing. And uh, it's not a big thing now, but believe it or not, I grew up when there was no cell phones at the beginning. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) it became a really, really big thing. So I decided that's what I want to do. I looked at BCIT for electronics. And then a friend of mine suggested the military. He's not a friend anymore. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Same with his friend that suggested corrections. We don't talk about people. <laughs> no, no one suggested corrections. That was my own doing. But if somebody oh. had them, they would certainly not be a friend anymore. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. 
So then I, uh, I looked into it. I went down to the recruiting center in Kamloops and I'll, uh, I wrote the test and the rest is history. I, I went to basic training. I spent 21 years. Oh, and I remember wow. the last two years I was sitting in Ampro. That's a aircraft maintenance control records officer. It's pushing paper. In the last two years, I was sitting there going, you know, this is in my 40s too. I was going, you know, this isn't fun anymore. I don't, and, and in the military, you, if it's not fun anymore, it's time to leave because it's not a job. Being in the military is not a job. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I, I started thinking, well, what am I going to do? So I, I had lots of time on the computer and I don't know why, but it came up corrections. And that's, I was looking at it going, now, when you get the, the, uh, the website and CSE and corrections and all what a corrections officer does, you're going, wow, that looks pretty good. <laughs> now, if they had told me on the right-hand side what they really did, <laughs> I would never have joined. I would never have signed up. Mm-hmm. So, and it's interesting, my transition into that, because I started to talk to family and friends that I wanted to join corrections. Well, they all told me I was nuts. Yeah. So then I, I kind of, I went, okay, well, maybe I'll look at materials engineering. So I went, I looked at Nate and I went, I'll look at that. And I did. And, and I found out that I needed a math course. So I took a math course online calculus and I passed it. I, I don't think I could do that now, but back then <laughs> I passed it. So I signed up for both. I signed up for corrections and I signed up for materials engineering. So different. So many, like, the, yeah. they're just so different. Oh, they are. They're completely different, but I'll get to why I ended up choosing <laughs> corrections over materials okay. engineering. Okay. Is because, yeah. If you have another question, if you have a question, if I'm, I'm talking or whatever, just go ahead and, and ask. Oh. But anyway, I, so I signed up for both and I just, and I went down to, uh, well, I, I decided that's it. I quit, the, I'm going to quit the military when I got accepted into both. Okay. So how, how old were you at this point? I was 44, 44. 45. Yeah. And that's partly that question when you talk about reinventing. Well, I reinvented myself 20 years ago. <laughs> so I decided, so I, so I went to, I got out of the military and then I went down to Nate for the first day. I decided, because the other program didn't start for another week at uh, Grant McEwen College. I think it's a university now. So I went down to Nate. I signed up and everything and I'm sitting in class and I looked around at all the people and I went, I don't want to work with these people. <laughs> and nothing, nothing against them. I just didn't think I related to them. And then, and then I thought, I don't want to do a task-oriented job again. Like when I was in the military, the aircraft would land and the pilot would say, James, this radio doesn't work or this radar system doesn't work. Can you go fix it? So then I had a task, I would go fix it. And I thought materials engineering is going to be the same darn thing. Another another task-oriented job. Yeah. So I went, I phoned up the director for uh, corrections and I said, is it too late to get in? And she said, no, we'd love to have you. So my two days at Nate, I quit. (laughs) 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 And then I went to corrections. And the interesting thing is I looked around at all the people and I went, okay. Now there is about 30 or 40 and out of the 40, there was only three guys and the rest were all young women. And I went, okay, I want to work with these people. <laughs> but it wasn't for the reasons of just being and, and young women. It wasn't that at all. It was the fact I could, re- I could relate to that. I could relate yeah. to what everyone, mostly everyone that was in that job or in that program wanted to help people. It wasn't just, I'm going to put on a uniform and I'm going to guard, you know, prisoners. It was looked upon a little bit like social work, but also help people, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I finished the two years, but before we finished, that's when uh, 
EIFW came and said, uh, you know, they put in applications. So I, I did that after the program, I passed. And okay, so and I, I okay, so I, I thought you meant like you went yeah. uh, you went to the corrections program at Grant McEwen. Correctional services at Grant McEwen, yes. Oh, okay. okay. I thought you meant like I CTP. thought you went I'm like you went to CTP for two years. That's dumb. Oh no, correctional <laughs> services for two years at, at uh, Grant McEwen. Got I did you. that okay. and, and and then I I uh, I basically put an application in with because I don't know who it was who came to the college and started saying this is a good place to work but I ended up (laughs) some liar basically yeah (laughs) I ended up uh, getting an interview and and then I got the job um, and that person is still working not there but she works at the max now and and then I went to CTP in uh, Saskatoon and finished wow. that, and then, and then I went to uh, my first. I think it was uh, November two thousand and five, is when I walked through the doors as a uh, corrections officer, one year of probation or whatever. Yeah, and I'll never forget. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's my path to being a uh, corrections or how I became a corrections officer. But I do remember during training and stuff that the instructors always used to say to, and I had, you know how they keep a report on you? What do they call that again? Like a behavioral report? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. a little log they kept on you. Yeah, they all had really nice things to say about me. But I'll never forget one guy said to me, he said, James, you're going to do fantastic but you're not going to get along with management. <laughs> really? Yes. And you know, all you know, right away, I never did Yeah. get along yeah. with management, but he said, he said that. Hmm. So I've never forgotten that. And uh, I didn't believe him. I said, nah, I didn't get along with anyone. I was wrong. <laughs> I didn't get along with management very well at all, but anyway, that's that's how I ended up. I walked through the doors and uh, I started my I started down the secure unit as 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 you know they always dump the new people down there because it's it's the easiest place to work. Yeah, yeah, super yeah. fun, super it's super uh, fun. Here's the thing though, I I think like I remember because I think twenty the bubble was uh, like a a general pop post right. Right. Originally, it ch- ended up changing because we got when we started working down there. That's right. It was like, no, we need someone who works here all the time to know all the things. Um, but yeah, I, I and I, I like that's where you get the experience. I, in my opinion, um, be, and because sometimes we we always needed people down there to help. There was usually that's where you were getting called to. But yeah, this curing it was a was a tough go and I mean as soon as you got a general pop number you were like yeah sweet I don't have to go down there today so. yeah <laughs> so you came 2005 yeah. you think it was easy like after right yeah you thought it was what earlier you thought it was easy if you didn't get the security net so when I and I remember that very distinctively is because I remember my first year, my first Christmas in at EIFW working as a corrections officer. I remember, I still remember me standing there by the office door, looking at all the blood on the floor. The ambulance was in, in there. The art team was in there. Uh, there was use of force. We had to uh, restrain uh, inmates and, and, I remember the blood everywhere. B-Clean was coming in to clean the cells and stuff from all the self-harm, from the slashings, but there was still blood all there, all out in the, the uh, rotunda. And I had mm-hmm. to, I, I cleaned it up, I'm a new guy. So I, I got the gloves on, the rubber boots and the mask and everything. And I was cleaning up uh, this blood on the floor. Someone said, Are you got, what, what's your bleach? Smells like a lot of bleach. I said, yeah, it's 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> so no kidding and i remember standing there thinking you know 
I was 21 years in the military and every Christmas I had two, sometimes three weeks off. And I said, wow, this Christmas is so much fun. And I remember thinking, what the hell have I done to myself? <laughs> what That's pretty doing? good. You were only one month in going, what the hell that have was, I done? That's brilliant. Yes. <laughs> I was one month in and going, what the hell have I done? Like, seriously, it was. Did you uh, call bingo numbers it was prior to the slashing? Did you call the bingo numbers prior to the slashing? Is my question. <laughs> <laughs> and I. No, I didn't have, like, it was November, so it started. It was in December, all, all hell broke loose down there. And, but I do, when I when I look back, and I, I, I didn't say that with a huge amount of regret. I said that in a kind of a humorous way, like, yeah. what have I done? Because I, I'll, I'll, my first two years at EFW was like a honeymoon. I loved my first two years at EFW. Mm-hmm. It was really, I, I actually loved going to work. I, I oh, never wow. regret it. Yeah, I did. The first two two years, I, I really enjoyed going to work. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I was there almost 12, and I only enjoyed two. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's crazy. That, you were there for 12 years? Yeah, I was actually a little bit longer because when I left, I was on, sort of on the payroll for a little while. Because gotcha. I, I left in February 2016. Oh, okay. I was still on the payroll for a little bit, and yeah, I would. So, well, sorry, go ahead. So my question is: You said you enjoyed the first two years. What is it that you so two thousand and five to about two thousand and seven? What is it that you liked the best there? Well, I think one of the things that I enjoyed a lot was the camaraderie and working yeah. with people. And I was always impressed with the women, the, and when the women I work with that were like, you know, 30 years old or whatever, the amount of restraint that they had working down on the security unit, getting screamed at and they, the, the C word, the B word, mm-hmm. and I want to kill you and all kinds of things. And yet never lashed out back and screamed at them or called them names just continued to be professional and I always thought that that was a a very difficult thing for me to do but much more difficult for a 30 year old woman to do with say kids and other things are balancing and uh, so I always had a lot more respect for their ability to not lash out than my ability because I, I, I just thought it was a lot harder for them than say me. So I really admired that. So, so the two years, I guess the big thing for me was it seemed like after two years, management kind of turned on me and I don't, I felt as though I wasn't getting the support that I needed after the two years. And um, it just became increasingly uh, more and more of a chore to um, balance some of the things that were going on within the institution, some of the traumatic events that we have to deal with. And I felt as though I was dealing with it on my own. Mm-hmm. So it became very difficult to, to process that without um, management backing me up. So it became really hard. Mm-hmm. And that's why after the two years, I became aware that you know, this is, uh, I don't think management's there for me. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, it became difficult. So what was like the, okay, so you do two years and then you do 10 more, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I, I, but yeah. I remember, like I, I heard this story <laughs> a few times of like opening up the pension package and going, I won't make it 17 more years. I will, I'll be dead. There's no way I'll make it this long. Um, so that was kind of the, the point for me. Yeah, Yeah. I think when I look back, I probably should have left after four or five years and reinvented myself doing something else, but that doesn't mean I don't, it doesn't mean I regret it. Yeah. But when you look back and you think, well, that's even with a marriage, like being divorced, you look back and, and when people talk about a divorce, and they go, I left at such a, I left like yesterday. It's not that they weren't thinking about it years before. Mm-hmm. So do you have that regret that 
you didn't leave two or three years before. And it's like, no, because you were trying to make it work. And I think for myself, it wasn't. And people think that when you get divorced and it's bad, it was bad the whole time. Right. And I don't think the 10 years was bad the whole time, but it was certainly a lot different after the two years. And it wasn't like I was going to work hating it and it was bad each and every day. It's just that I became aware that I was I was doing it on my own more so than I did the first two years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it was a support to, to give you an idea how what I was feeling in, in order to articulate this better so you get a better understanding of where I'm coming from is I'll never forget there's a, down on the security and it seems like I was there a lot. But anyway, I was a SAG officer down on the security unit. You were the SAG officer lots, James. Yes, yeah, I was. <laughs> yes. So I was down there yeah. and and I one of the uh, the inmates that was on watch, like suicide watch, or what do they call it now? Like uh, I don't know, what do they call it? Probably just protocol. Hi, yeah. yeah, they call they make up something. So she was having a shower, so obviously I can't watch that. So you couldn't um, do a lot of things, James. We're gonna talk about that after. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do that. So anyway, I'm out, you know, doing a tremendous amount of love, other work. Anyway. <laughs> and then and then all, all hell breaks loose because she she was given the shower or the towel in the shower and you know how you have to watch in the corner right mm-hmm. you just watch and they were watching and i guess she ripped up the towel and tied a ligature and she was turning purple and and people screaming for the key and and i had to go in there throw the key or uh, and anyway she's down on the floor and the 911 tool is being used trying to get this ligature off her and uh, obviously someone hit their PPA and, and the mobiles came down and then all was, then management came down. And then I hear management, like I said, I won't say names, but this person says, well, does psychology, uh, did psychology approve her having a towel? So I heard this and being the SAG officer, I go to the SAG office, I, I started reviewing her file and I, and I said, if I find something that the psychologist said that she shouldn't have a towel, I was going to take it out. <laughs> I was going to yeah. take it out. But that's oh my god, I love it. <laughs> yes. I love that. But the thing is, I was that's part of that yes. really bothered me. That when I went home that night, I was started thinking, you know, this is a moral and value issue. This is that's a legal document. And you're and you're prepared to do this, yeah. but I felt as though I was no support. Yeah, instead of looking yeah. at the situation and the people responding, yeah. they want to. They, you're so right. I do remember this incident actually. They looked oh, yeah. at who, who can we blame, right? Yeah, who's to blame? Instead of like, how can we blame the seg officer who's like the segregation is the hole, the kick, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, the digger. Um, they want to blame you versus let's see why is this well yeah she's still the alive the inmate's still alive i mean come on and how, back. what are you supposed to not give her a towel and then you're going to get in shit for that right you're kind of like damned if you do damned if you don't exactly and it was one of those things that you know how you know you both can relate to the experiences you that you had and you go home and you try to work through it. You stay awake at night and you're trying to work through this, this incident. Well, I, I, that kept me awake. That mm-hmm. bothered me. Mm-hmm. That was huge to me. That yeah. I, was, I was changing who I was as a person. Yes. And what my values and what my integrity was. I was changing. And management was doing it. That management was changing me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I hated myself for that. And I, I had a hard time dealing with that. So that wasn't just watching an inmate slash that really bothered me. It was a fact too, that I was changing. Yes. And, and I, I, that, I, I talk about yeah. this quite often because I would always be like, oh, is that going to, is that going to be an investigation? I found the investigations and the grievances and all of those processes harder to yeah. deal with than the actual incident going what are they going to find? What are they looking for? Who are they going to yes. pin this on? And I mean, I, I, not everything ended up like that, but I, I felt very 
guarded. I felt very, uh, and I, I, I think I know Sharon was a part of this incident when I was asked to change my OSOR to match other people's. And I was like, I don't remember seeing that. And I mean, your what I know right now from trauma and all of that is what I see is not the same thing. Sharon sees what I hear is not the same thing. Sharon hears. Right. So we all have different Mm -hmm. perspectives on what happened in an incident and they have to take those and they have to, I know, come up with a report, come up with whatever. They have people that they have to report to, too, why this happened. But I mean, I was always scared of investigations, like the one where the shit was smeared in the room like that. And that went on Mm -hmm. for 18 months, like just sit us in a room and let's figure this out instead of me losing sleep for 18 months going, what's going to happen. I, and I, I wasn't the person making the big decisions, but I was the one following that direction going, I know we're going to be in shift. <laughs> I already exactly. know. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I can relate to that too, with an experience that not the, when I first started, but I remember there was, there was one weekend and the security unit blew up again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all kinds of things happening. And uh, it was over the weekend and use of force reports and uh, all kinds of OSORs. I don't know, they're not called that anymore, but, uh, and I remember, and over the weekend, you know, you're very stressed. Did I do the right thing? Is everything, you know, you know, am I going to get disciplined for this, that, or whatever? So I go to work and I'm sitting there in the lunchroom around nine o'clock getting a coffee and the uh, deputy warden comes in. And, uh, and he says, James, I've been reading the reports for the weekend. And of course, I'm just, just about shaking, right? Like reading the reports. Well, well, well what happened? Like what I do wrong. Mm-hmm. And he said, I just wanted to say good job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which that was is, it. Which that is unheard it. of. It's unheard of. Cause it's, it's always, yeah. it's always getting in shit, right? You're never. But listen, when he said that someone at that high up, he said, I've been, re- I've read the reports. What yeah. a difference it makes to be supported. Right. And that's, yeah. that's huge because I, I mean, I feel that on so many different levels at, especially at EIFW, like a lot of the times it was uh, based on like you you would go through a major incident and it was never like are you okay which was a very simple thing they could do it was always like I need you to now go do this other thing this is what could have happened that, uh, exactly. better but yeah. they don't realize like you're you're full of adrenaline and also a lot of times you're working with like your friends so your my job was always me and you know, Tammy Dochuk and whoever else, right. we got to get out of here alive. Like nobody needs to get hurt. Right. So it's like all of those things are on your mind. And the first thing you do is get dinged, right. <laughs> for, for them saying you could have done this better, or you should have done this. I had an incident uh, where the uh, team leader, or whatever the, the correctional manager was telling me to cut clothes off an inmate. And I was like, I am not doing that because I know that I'll be the one in trouble. You won't be. So I just turned and said, I'm not doing that. I'm not comfortable ripping clothes off someone to get at drugs that, you know, she'd supposedly been been passed. I said, we have other ways that we were trained to deal with it. So I didn't do that. Right. And then it, it led to a major incident over the weekend because she smuggled drugs in and you know, they put them up in areas. It's not like you can just say, excuse me while I look for drugs up in your hooch, right? You can't say that. You can't, you can't do that. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And here's the thing too, like, <laughs> oh my God, Sharon. Sorry. <laughs> so one of the things you're talking about that, one of the things I always looked at when I look back and why I left and the, Anyway, when I look back, I think, you know, the, the support we had was uh, SISM. But I often thought SISM for me was like, um, like putting a hard hat on after you've been hit on the head with a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> That's because, true. And I think that for, um, you know, when, a, when construction workers are on the site, they have a hard hat, gloves, and steel-toed boots and stuff to protect themselves. What can people do? What would have helped me to protect me from PTSD, say, 
And I think one of the one of the vital things I look at that wasn't there for me was once again was the support. Mm-hmm. That's that's the PPE for people in stressful situations or jobs like corrections and police is to know that that support is there because if you feel like you're on your own, you won't last. And that's and I didn't last because uh, I really felt as though I was on my own. You've had other guests on here who have been in supervisory positions. And I've kind of, I look at that and I envy that because they talk about their experiences so much differently than I experienced it because they had a huge amount of support. I'll give you an example of the support. I remember very early on in my career, I was approached by some people I work with that I was a spy for management. And they didn't oh, really I remember, remember this. Yes. That's weird. You thought I was a spy for management. And I and I was I was very upset at that because they don't know me and my character. I was never a spy for management. In fact, when I was in the military, you know, I was a really strong advocate for for the frontline soldier type thing. And I I challenged management and I challenged my captain and major and officers. And, and it was, it was very upsetting to me to have someone say I was a spy. And then, (laughs) and then what happens is the management decided down on the security unit that it would be a good idea to have someone down there taking notes to see how things, because the security unit was always a mess. There was always incidents. So they, they, they picked up a coworker, a woman, and she was tasked to be down in the security unit and to take notes and monitor how we did our job. And I said to somebody, I said, well, you're upset at me because I'm a spy for management. I said, what about this person? They're out in the open and they're a spy for management. And, and they went, oh, no, that's okay. I was furious. I was furious because yes. this person I had disdain for. I just, I, when I was down on the security unit and she was taking notes, I was hostile toward her because I just thought, well, this isn't right that you're down here being a spy and somebody, some people are telling me I'm a spy. And I, so it was a, it's that whole combination of that uh, total lack of support that uh, finally did me in. Like, Lauren, I remember one time I, you went off on mat leave or something and you came back and I'll never forget you're at the front desk. I walk in, they say, haven't you left yet? And I said, what? You said, after all the crap you've been going through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. I do remember yeah, that. Yeah, and I, and I said, no, it's okay. And I would say, like, when I said two years was the honeymoon, and then after that, 10 years, I would say probably the last two or three years was hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like hell on wheels. Like, I should probably, that's when I should have laughed not two years into it, or probably nine years into it. Okay, so here's my question, because I think that th- this is a really good place to talk about it. So when you say support, what what does that mean to you? Like, because I know for me, like, I remember when I got really, uh, I-, I say like, I went crazy in 2008. Um, I remember calling in and saying like, I haven't slept. I've, I'm like, I'm my, my husband came home from like a week away at work and he's like, what is going on? He took me to the doctor. I can't, I'm, I have to be off work for six weeks. And I remember them being like, well, that's fucking wonderful. It's Christmas, Lauren. How convenient for you. How convenient that you don't have, mm-hmm. like, do you know how many people are off? Do you, and like, I literally hung up the phone and I said to my, my, he was my boyfriend at the time. He, I was like, I, I can't take six weeks off work. Are you kidding me? Like, they hate me. They're going to hate me. Everyone's going to hate me. Everyone, they're going to go tell every. He was like, you don't have an option. This is like a doctor thing. And he's like, you are losing your marbles. Like, are you, I cannot believe that you don't see this. I cannot believe that what you think you're doing to yourself is totally okay. And I was okay with it until I called in and they, they made it like, well, that's fucking wonderful. Yeah. That's nice for you. Oh yeah. Great. You know, and so I like for me, I'm like, when you say like, I didn't have the support, I'm like, what were you looking for? What was the thing that you think would have helped you? Because I know that people listen to this and are, are, and, and I've had the people from EAP call me personally and ask me, how do we fix this? Mm -hmm. 
right? So I would love to know what you think because I know EAP is, none of us would have gone to that. Right. Let's get no, real. Uh, <laughs> I, know what, I know what you're saying. And I, and I think that, and it's not, I don't think one, one particular thing fits for everyone. Absolutely. Because I don't think that people who get lots of support necessarily will avoid PTSD. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. believe that at all, but I do believe that it has a contributing factor, or at least it did for me. I know it's anecdotal evidence, but it is for me because I had a, like one of the things, like I, I'll come out and say it, I was diagnosed with PTSD, but I was also diagnosed with uh, an adjustment disorder. And one of the things is, because one, one psychiatrist said, you don't have PTSD, he, and it was his belief. But he believed that in order, like when I was staying in corrections and I was processing, like you have to process a lot to keep healthy in mm-hmm. corrections. If you, and, and you have to keep up on it. That's why people, they say, uh, you know, go work out. Well, that's part of the process of keeping up on your mental health. Yep. But it's not just working out. It's, all, it's lots of other things that contribute to your mental health. So, and I... And when I finally got removed from the, I was surviving at the minimum. I always looked at it like at the minimum, I was at the edge of the cliff with my nails dug in. And I, I, I actually would have finished my career if I stayed in the minimum. I'm not saying I wouldn't have had PTSD, but I probably would have finished my career if I had a stayed at the minimum. But when I was being moved from the minimum to the max, because they asked where I wanted to go. And I just said the max, I was defeated. So I just went the max and that was it. I was done Mm -hmm. because everything surfaced. I could not process the, what I needed to process to continue working in that job. I was, and I think partly the reason for that was I gave up. I realized, you know, I'm at my age, I didn't really need the job anymore. And I just gave up. And, and that, the, the, but the big thing, getting back to what you're talking about is the support and the support is little things. Like I was saying about the person coming in and saying, good job. I didn't have to worry anymore about Mm -hmm. what I did on that weekend. I, the worry wasn't there, but the, there are times where I, that would happen and I would worry for weeks because no one came up to me and said, good job. Now, we get an email saying great job, but most of the emails I deleted. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really am not interested in somebody sitting up by a computer and saying good job and sending it out to 200 people. It's the humility. No. It's the like the humility attached to it, right? It's like, I'm a human being and I, I crave, and it's not attention. It's like, that leadership, right? That says you've done a really good job. And I, I I know for me, um, I, I focus on that very, cause I, I, I have employees, I have people that work for me. I, you know, that appreciation piece, because we are in that, in that career, you are the person that is taking a lot of things. And at the end of the day, if it was like, fuck, if I was appreciated today, great, that's awesome. And I, I have supervisors that came to me numerous times and said like I appreciate how you handled that I appreciate right like that's right but but there was also times where it was like ooh, that like and I knew it wasn't going to go well I I, get that feeling but then there were times where it's like I don't know which way this is going to go right because they have a job to do they have people to answer to and it's like "Mm, this they're they're not going to be on my side this time I already know that and I, I I think the support piece is is exactly it it's and we were always told like oh a monkey could do your job oh yes you gotta walk down. that's ex- that's what I was right? gonna say and, like, yeah so the way the the language around the job ha- has to change and I'm hoping it has because if like for me as a, a woman of color being called the n-word is going to affect me differently and right. I remember the psychologist telling me well, you were hired for this job. You've got to grow thicker skin. And it's like, nobody, like, that's not what this is about. This is about supporting your worker, no matter what it is and saying, you're seen, I get it, take a minute. That's all it would take. I don't need an girl for everything I do. 
but you do need to be seen and appreciated and respected in your workplace. And I'm, I'm so hopeful that things have changed because where we came from, like we were, if we were talked to, you were getting in trouble. You weren't, nobody was saying, at a girl, at a boy, what a great job you did. You were getting in trouble. And then James, the other piece you, you touched on when you said you gave up, I don't really think you gave up. I think you gave in, you outgrew the system and you said to yourself, something here has to change because you're done. It's not that you gave up. I, I look at it like you, you gave in and said to yourself, I'm, I'm worthy of more. I was, that's a, that's a good point. I was mentally exhausted. Like yeah. I really was mentally exhausted. I wasn't physically exhausted, but mentally I was just exhausted. I, and about the support and the stigma attached to uh, people who have a, um, whether it be, well, mental disorder or, a, you know, PTSD. A psychological or injury. Like it's a psychological mm-hmm. injury. Yeah. They, they, when they have a psychological injury, it's, uh, I'll give you an example. I went on a, I uh, was, I think it was an anti-harassment uh, training, but I had to come into work first. You know how that worked? Yeah. Then, they, then they decided, oh, we have enough people. So I went next door, that building that we had next door. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I went next door. They said I had enough. And at the time they were doing um, an icebreaker, right? Uh, people would say, you know, I've been so many years in corrections and blah, blah, blah. So the per- I walk in and the person that I was just about sit beside. She said, I have the greatest job in corrections. And she was happy. I won't say who it is. Happy and bubbly. <laughs> and, and, and what stood out was the greatest job in corrections. So anyway, and then I sat down. It was my turn right away to do the icebreaker. And I said, well, it's a, it's a real treat, I said, to be sitting beside somebody who has the best job in corrections because I have the work. And everyone started <laughs> laughing. And then I said, because I have the worst job in corrections, I just cut an inmate down last night that was hanging. <laughs> yeah. Not a word. Yeah. There was management there. No one came up to me and said, James, are you okay? No one said a thing, but everyone laughed when I said, you know, it's, it's a real treat to be sitting beside somebody that has the best job. And then I said, I have the worst. Mm-hmm. And then I, and everyone laughed. And then when I said, why? You could have heard, you could have heard a pin drop, mm-hmm. and I and I just and I and I I don't know whether it was consciously or whatever, but I threw myself out there, mm-hmm. and and no one uh, no one caught me. Right. It was yeah. like I threw myself out there, and it was like, oh my god, stay away from me. Right. Yeah, that's instead of something's yeah. going on here, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Why why would a guy say that? Obviously, it's bothering him, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I, I i went it was it was the night before so can you imagine you go home and i went home at 11 o'clock and i was asleep at 11 five minutes after 11 right. uh, no no i was up till two o'clock in the morning going go to fucking sleep james because you have to be up in three hours right exactly <laughs> was a, or, was or you had a couple drinks so that you didn't have to think about it that's right. right. I probably had a couple of drinks and a tranquilizer. and Right. Yeah. That's a, and here's the thing. I always like, cause people will say like, well, why did you leave? And I'm like, I was just done with fighting. I mean, listen, I'm, I, I advocate for myself. I am very good at talking to people dealing like anytime my parents have like a dishwasher breakdown, they're like, you call Lord. I'm like, okay, I'll call them. I have no problem with that. I'm okay. Advocating for myself. But I got to the point where I was just like, I'm just tired of fighting. Mm-hmm. right and and I think that's where a lot of people and and like you said you're mentally exhausted and I'm just like I'm just done yes. I'm just done with the fight I don't think it like needs to be this hard and I was when I left I was 30 and I felt yeah. like I'd lived a lifetime right that's like right. I'm just like it doesn't have to be this hard it doesn't really have to be this hard I don't understand why it's so hard um, and it, life isn't that hard. It doesn't need to be that hard. But I also, I took pride in what I did mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure that I set myself up for success and the people after me up for success. And that's where I struggled more than anything. Did right. I forget, did I forget to write down that chick can have a towel that would 
have eat, and then the next day I come in and find out you're in trouble, James, because you've ripped out the page that yes. <laughs> whatever, or I didn't write it down. And now you guys have something going on. That was my, as I felt helpless in the moments mm-hmm. that I wasn't there. And did I do enough to make sure that no one else gets hurt? Right. That was my struggle right. more than anything. So mm-hmm. I think too, when you talked about why, I think what, what uh, impression I got from you was after two years, like, um, why did you stay for 10 years? And now on a lighter note, as we, as we wind down, I just want, one of the reasons I stayed was the inmates and my job mm-hmm. and what I, what I needed to, I really took a lot of pride in, um, in uh, helping uh, the inmates rehabilitate and do the best that I can when they got out to not reoffend and try to be a good people. And I just, I'll read to you what somebody had written to me. You know how Facebook, if you have it open, people can just message you. Mm-hmm, They're not yeah. necessarily a friend, but they can message you. So this, this inmate used to be there. She's out now, obviously. She messaged me in Facebook a number of years ago and she said, hi, James. I know you probably can't add me to Facebook. However, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for being one of the few people who actually treated us like human beings. You are an amazing person and I'm honored to have had the pleasure of meeting you. I'm doing great. Life couldn't be better. Take care. Well, that's nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the, and actually that came at a time when, that came at a time when, uh, <laughs> when I was leaving corrections and when I left corrections, this is the interesting thing about when I left. WCB was very supportive. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. Sun Life yeah. was very supportive. The healthcare system was e- extremely supportive. EI was supportive. My family and friends and wife, common law wife at the time were extremely supportive. Everyone was supportive, but there was one that wasn't. Do you want to know what that was mm-hmm. or who that was? Mm-hmm. Work. Right. Work. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of sealed it to me that, you know what, all that lack of support that I got for years and years, and then now I'm leaving and I have no support. I kind of hit the nail on the head. They hit the nail on the head, those, mm-hmm. those people. And, and that's why I certainly don't, when I look back now, I don't have any, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any hatred or animosity or anything like that because I met some amazing people. I'm talking to two right now. I have no regrets. Like uh, it was an amazing experience. And I know that this, this uh, particular inmate that wrote me, I know there are probably dozens yeah. that think, you know that James, he said this, mm-hmm. and they're gonna and they conduct their lives with a little memory of me instilling in their head to be a little bit better than who they are now. Mm-hmm. So that's what kind of sustained me over the years. I was gonna because, say, like, that's a cool purpose because I know I went into corrections with that purpose, yeah, and that that did not stay with me long, right? It was like, right, it right away was like oh fuck this doesn't work fuck me oh. i'm gonna have to like right and that stayed I, with me right to the end that's so glad end. i'm so glad because i didn't i don't feel like that at all and as i walked away from that and i started learning those things again i was like oh that that i went in to do this and i did not i did not do that at all i know that i didn't which is which is okay it's a learning experience like you said everything right. is a learning experience um but I'm, I'm trying to do it in other ways because that one didn't serve me well for my mental yeah. health and all of those things. But yeah, I think that's cool. Cause you're like, this was my purpose. And I walked away and I have uh, something tangible to say that I accomplished it. Right. Yeah. I remember, cool. I remember one um, supervisor had told me that, uh, you know, when they're ready to, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And they, and I remember her saying to me that, you may not think that uh, you're making a difference because when when it's when it, they'll make that change when they're ready. But what you can hope for is that when they're ready to make that change, some of the things that you said to them echo in their head. And I think I I actually 
I, I actually think that's true. I actually think that they do that. Mm-hmm. So that helps yeah. me. <laughs> and, that, and, and I know this too from working with people in so many different capacities is people don't change till they're ready to. It doesn't matter That's what we right. say. It's the things that they, it's the things that we say that will resonate with them later. It's it's the planting mm-hmm. of the seeds, right? Like not all <laughs> seeds grow. Some get picked up by birds. Some don't, you know, whatever. But I mean, it's just planting the seeds, and then the seed, you know, six years later is like, oh, I kind of remember something saying to me something like that that now That's resonates right. with me right and so. and the impact that you you make at corrections it doesn't like it it could be to toward that inmate that you're trying to help and that's great but the impact james lauren that you had maybe that helped me through an incident right. or through the night or it helps me now it helps me now to know yes. i'm out here to help people so whoever wants to listen to me go on and on and on if, if I make an impact, that's awesome. You know what I mean? If I lead somebody a different down a different road, and I mean, I had really good rapport with inmates. Sometimes I still see some downtown Calgary. <laughs> and, you know, they ask me. I saw one at an Old Dominion concert, and she, like, turned around, and she was like, hey, you like Old Dominion? I was like, <laughs> you like Old Dominion? It was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you don't know the impact, right, that you've made, but... Um, well, it's a good thing that the impact you made isn't one where they see you and want to beat you up. Right? That's right. That's so true. That's true. <laughs> Just come at you. Oh, God. Right? Yeah, so... Yeah, I, I'm actually pretty... I'm doing pretty good now. That's, that's what, what I, that's what what I wanted now? to. Where are you now? What are you up to? Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grandpa. I look after the kids a lot. The grandkids. Hey! That's awesome. <laughs> so that's, but I, I still, I still work in uh, John Howard society and I work with, <laughs> funny, I work in a halfway house with inmates, CSE male that are on parole, but I also work in, oh, cool. in a house that's, they just they closed house, but uh, I used to work there. They closed at end the end of this month, actually, and it's actually working with forensics. It's actually working with. It may sound dangerous, but they it isn't. It's working with people that were not found criminally responsible for their for their crime because of a mental illness. But it's not it's not anything like I explained this to a friend of mine who's, who still works at EIFW. It's because he says, "Geez, what if?" what if something happens at work, like an incident? And I said, well, when I was in corrections, I'd have to deal with it. Now I just, I'm just going to get in the car and go home. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to run. (laughs) That's right. So I said, they do a pretty good job of screening and uh, a lot of confidence. Like even my boss uh, supervisor has, you know, asked me how I'm doing and and some of the way in which she talks to me is, is something that was very foreign when I was working in corrections. So very supportive all the time, mm-hmm. which I find the last 12 years, like I said, in corrections just wasn't there. So it's a lot different when you have that kind of support because there was an incident where I was working, but uh, it was it's fine. And it was yeah. it, it, it's just the way it was the way it was handled after with me and the way they handled it was so much different than corrections. And I I know that only from people that I've talked to um, in corrections and uh, in uh, the capacity much higher than that in uh, CSE is that it is done very differently now. Um, And and it it is good because we also have more information, right? Like, I mean, when I went through all of my stuff, I'd never even heard of PTSD. I'd never even heard of any of these things. I had no idea how, like, sure, Jody and I went to yoga, but like, I remember mm-hmm. my brain did not shut off during yoga. I was like, this is a waste of time. This lady's mm-hmm. talking. I need her to shut up because I need to go through this thing. I need to process this thing, right? Like just, and spending time to be present. I'm very, I struggle with that still to this day, being present because I'm always like a forward thinker. Right. Um but I, I, I know, I know, um, just from, I, and I had, uh, some corrections officers, I did a retreat with first responder spouses and, um, I know from the families that it's getting better, uh, not just from the corrections, uh, and, and 
I mean, if you're a corrections person who doesn't want support, there's still support for your family. So that's helpful because your family likely had no idea what happened at work. Just like my husband had no idea what was happening at work. He just knew I was like losing it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he had no yeah. idea. And now he's a police officer, which is kind of cool. Cause now I, I, I don't understand what it's like to be a police officer, but I understand what it's like to come home and disengage and piece those the day together and have that ability to process it and talk about it if he needs to. Oh, yeah, just interesting stuff. But yeah, uh, being a grandpa, uh, doing doing the work, the helping yeah. work is amazing. And finding um, the joy in that, right? I, I was um, peeping on your Facebook and you're traveling and enjoying life, right? Exactly. That's what it's, uh, that's what it's all about. I'm probably going to work for another two or three years, but, uh, cause when I first came out here, I didn't work for eight or nine months and I was going a little crazy. So I, I ended up getting a job with, uh, uh you know, you know, those bins that people have for, uh, throwing clothes, you know, in, you know, use clothes, donate to. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I thought this is interesting because I thought it would be, I didn't want to work around people. I said, I had enough of people. I just want a job where I go pick up. I started this job just picking up clothes. It's a Canadian Diabetes Association. So mm -hmm. I just picked up clothes. Wow. I never knew people threw out so many clothes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, one weekend, I, it was one weekend I decided I was going to quit. And it was just a crazy weekend picking up clothes. So Monday morning, I go, I was going to go. I'd only been there a month. So Monday morning, I, I had it all. I got to go talk to the boss and say, I quit. I'll, I'll quit at the end of the week or something. So I go in and he said, James, I need to see you. And I said, oh, okay. He says, you picked up so many clothes over the week. And it's the first time we've ever had, you know, a certain amount. We're going to give you a bonus. <laughs> a bonus? So I, I didn't have the heart to tell him I quit. And I walk out and I remember sitting in the truck going, you idiot like <laughs> so I phoned him and, and I and I told him I said I can't do it anymore it was too physically demanding and uh and then I and I also realized that I can't I can't do a job by myself I need to work with people mm -hmm. I, I can't and that's why I really like working like I I had uh, we the the remember I said the one house okay the one house closed Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now they, so all of the, uh, we call them residents or participants, the residents of the house, they've all said to me, you know, James, you just treat us like a human being. You don't treat us like we have a mental illness. You just treat us and talk to us like we're human beings. We, they just love me being there. That's awesome. And, That's and it just reminded me my time in, in corrections as I just treat people with dignity. I treat them with respect and I treat them like human beings. I talk to them. I don't, you, you, if you're a schizophrenic, doesn't mean I put my schizophrenic voice on. Right. And, uh, <laughs> if you're bipolar, it doesn't mean I'm with my bipolar uh, mm -hmm. voice on. I just talk to you like a human being. So amazing. So amazing. I'm so, so glad. Really I'm so glad you're doing uh, something in line with your purpose and helping people mm -hmm. and that it's not causing you mental anguish. And you don't have to fight with everybody all the time. Yeah, no and, kidding. Uh, yeah, we really appreciate you being here. And, it's so uh, good to see you too. Yeah, and sharing your story and uh, seeing you look. You look younger now than you did when I knew you, James. So True. that's exciting. Well, I was going to say about you two, you, you two look better now than you did when I was 10 years <laughs> Oh, I, I recently saw a photo of myself, like right before I got married. I was like, What? did i yeah. do with my hair oh man oh man it was like black i looked gothic yeah, i think that's why you took the video off isn't it <laughs> <laughs> no i took it off so my internet works wow. oh okay no. okay well let's uh let's uh wrap it up and yeah. um close it out but it's so good to see you james and we so appreciate you sharing your story with us and uh we'll chat soon Yes, thanks again for having me. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at From Unicorns to Unicorns uh, on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Speaker, all of those. 
Also feel free to subscribe. You'll be notified of new episodes that come out and we always love a review. Also feel free to share with anybody you would enjoy. We also want to send a big thank you to Jamie Green for being our podcast editor and to Jeff Bale at Third Hell Music for our soundtrack. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day, love. Lauren and Sharon. Bye.